Hey, it's Alana. And Jacqueline. And we're back for another episode of Black and Yellow. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. Yeah. It's been a it's been a big week. It's Busy weekend and a big week. Yeah, and a lot has happened. Yes. A lot. Specifically. The March of Our Lives. Yes, it happened across the nation on Saturday. Thousands, hundreds of thousands of people mm-hmm. poured out onto the streets too. Did you know that there was also a pro-gun rally that same day in Westwood, in Westwood, California, by the Federal Building? What? I was at the nail salon and there was coverage on it because obviously there was all this co- news coverage about the March of Our Lives. And then a small, a very small shot of what would be the pro-gun rally in Westwood. And that happened on the same day as the March of Our Lives, but obviously it didn't really get that much press because you have a march that's that's (laughs) advocating for something great and then a march that's advocating for idiocracy. You said pro-idiocracy? That's what you said? (laughs) It was, it's a pro-gun rally, so yes, that rally was pro-idiocracy. Exactly. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I tried to find stuff, like stats and statistics on the attendance so for this up. show, but I couldn't. It was almost none. So yeah. wow. that goes to show you like what our country thinks about pro-gun people versus yeah. the March Anti, of Our Lives, yeah. anti-guns. Right, gun control, all this Safety stuff. for our students. Yeah. Yeah. I I think I just want to start off by saying I like I think we are living in a really interesting time right now where because of social media and everything that's happening you know it's just it's kind of scary and kind of exciting because there's so much demand for change ah okay you know on all ends mm-hmm. I mean we've been covering so much I think lately just from sexual harassment to gun everything that's going on that I, I it's it's exciting but it's also scary because there's so much that's sort of up in the air. And yeah. people are, um, what's that word? People are, um, but they're like volatile. Yes, like, yes. I think people, you know, I'm not so sure how easily people will snap. And yeah. Whether well, it's good or bad. Right. And I think that there are some some arguments about maybe our society as a whole is losing good coping mechanisms, mm-hmm. skills on how to cope with traumatic events mm-hmm. or with events that an individual might deem as unsavory. Mm-hmm. I think in this age of social media, instant gratification, instant information at our fingertips whenever we we want, want. It, yeah, that also wears on our ability to cope with events that might not necessarily yield a quick google worthy answer mm-hmm. you know what i mean yeah and i think that our young young kids today are especially feeling the brunt of that yeah. more than uh, i would say any other time in history it yeah feels like. i mean just the fact that that rally was rallied yeah. <laughs> by these group obviously with a lot of help and donation and i mean almost like 3.5 million dollars was raised yeah. for them and the fact that they they sort of were so shooken up that they that this needed to happen by high schoolers you know from mm-hmm. from parkland florida like that that's amazing well we haven't seen this sort of young people the- this amount of young people fighting for change since the 60s and 70s mm. our generation missed it yeah our generation could have had that with Columbine, but we right. didn't. So our generation and the generation above us really missed that mm-hmm. hardcore, in-your-face political activism activating. Uh, Keep going, activating. girl. You got this. Come on. <laughs> not activating girl. for change, advocating for change. Yes. Uh, Actively so act- advocating. Exactly. Yes. So it's 
really, really exciting to see these young people take into their hands what activism looks like today. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Because yeah, a totally. lot of the speakers at the March of Our Lives, no one was an adult. They yeah. were all teenagers, teenagers. or kids. If talking you... about their... Yeah, um... exactly. Talking about their issues with gun control, mm-hmm. gun violence, how it's affected their lives. And I think that that's really powerful. Huge. When we, we don't have adults talking at us, because I think that sometimes adults who have lived life and have experience... Yeah. Have... Oh, honey, that's not right. Right. Honey, you can't do that. Exactly. Honey, nothing's going to change. Exactly. Right, yeah. And I think it was great to not have that influence there. Mm-hmm. We just want kids talking to us we don't want any sort of involvement from adults on what we should do or how we should live our lives or how we should i guess cope with the society that we're in moving forward it was kids speaking really poignantly and really bravely about the events that have impacted their lives and 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 what we should do they were calling us to action they were like look adults y'all are fucking up Mm -hmm. and we have to come in and tell you guys what to do to make it better and I, for one, was like, yes, kids, yeah. you read me the right act. I you know. talk to me like I am receiving every word that you are saying and I'm loving it. Yeah. Though through all of this gun violence that has happened and the, the national debate that has been sparked about gun control, how to keep our kids safe in schools, who should have guns, when people should be able to get mm-hmm, guns. Mm-hmm. As an African-American woman, the shooting at Stoneman Douglas was incredibly sad but also made me angry. How come? Well, if you are a person of color living in a lower income neighborhood, I live in Los Angeles, California, so I would say that those those neighborhoods would be Compton, Willowbrook, Inglewood, Watts. Yeah. These areas that are lower income, predominantly African-American or Hispanic, Mm -hmm. those neighborhoods, the threat of gun violence is very real every single day. Right. Whereas I think right now we're in this debate where white America is saying we cannot send our our kids to school with guns. We have to make sure our schools are safe. I think what's being forgotten are the Hispanic and African-American parents who send their kids off to school every day just hoping that they don't get shot walking to school, hoping that these kids come back. And that's an everyday thing that our communities have lived with for decades and it seems like when there is a mass school shooting at predominantly white schools all of a sudden society has to spring into action Mm -hmm. i kind of said this in uh the sexual harassment episode we were talking about how white female celebrities when they're being accused of sexual harassment everyone steps up everybody needs to step up yeah but when R. Kelly is abusing young white, young for black women. For 20 years now. For multiple decades. Right. No one really seemed to care. Yeah. So there's a question in my mind of, A, how, I think that people of color and white people define gun violence differently. Uh-huh. I think we react to it differently. And it raises questions of who gets the empathy and who gets to be the victim. And I think we're going to cover a lot of that in today's episode. Yeah, so... Put your seatbelts on. Yeah, <laughs> I know we just threw a Ready lot for some of turbulence. A lot of info so to at get you. real deep. But I think it needs to be discussed. I think that these problems that have plagued African American people and plagued Hispanic people, or just plagued lower income areas, in never get taken seriously. Right. I mean, I never, I never, I not that I never thought about it, but the fact that it becomes like that is their norm. Right. Like that is just something that's like, like we're so numb to it. Right. 
Yeah, that exactly. That's just something that's not, it's not a question that that is something that, that uh, doesn't, ex- you're born into it. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. In, in a sense, if you're in that community and if you are black or Hispanic and, and Asian or whatever it is, yeah. if you're in that area. And I think the fact that when this happens to white middle America or just white people in general, it becomes so much bigger than 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 anything and it kind of like where was the light on right on those people when that when that's been happening totally definitely you know? and it's not really fair no it's not fair at all at all i remember when columbine happened that was in 1993 when yes. columbine happened i believe 12 students were murdered and and a plethora i think it was like 17 20 were injured i remember that school shooting because my father works in a predominantly african-american area because of the nature of his work i'm going to keep the city and what he does uh off of this podcast but my mom at the time was a high school principal at Long Beach Poly, which is in Long Beach. Mm -hmm. And on Sundays, my parents would always watch 60 Minutes as I was supposed to be going to sleep. But I remember creeping out of my room and hearing them talk about Columbine and hearing my mom say something to the effect of, oh, you know, this this white, predominantly white school gets shot up and that's unfortunate. But uh, people bring people bring guns to school in Long Beach and no one's really saying anything. No one really seems to care. And I remember hearing my mom saying that and being like... Stuck with you. And it really did stick with me because you it makes you wonder whose lives are deemed more valuable. Yeah, based on the color of your skin or right. your status or how much you make. Right. right. But I think it also is one of those situations where, again, we talked about this in sexual harassment, but I'll bring it up again. If the problem that is happening to to uh, a, a demographic of people if we cannot see themselves see ourselves physically in those people yeah meaning a predominantly white school gets shot up right i can't identify with a lower income black or brown child getting shot up in their school because my kid is a young white kid is a, is a young white woman or a young white man Male. i can't put myself in the shoes of the parents who raise young colored kids in lower income areas my kids don't look like that my kids have a different upbringing uh-huh. than these kids do i can't relate therefore i don't take a stance when something horrible happens mm. to these kids mm. do you know what i mean yeah. like i'm not sprung into action but when there is a mass shooting at a school where my kid could in theory be, be attending yeah. that is when i need to spring to action and i think that that's why this country cannot get on the same page no. about gun control and about gun violence right absolutely in looking up uh i was doing some research into when was the first mass shooting in the united, united states. states and it was really hard to find evidence that all agreed with each other different articles would say different things mm. certain articles would say columbine was the first school shooting a different article would say uh, there was a female who who shot kids as they were going to school in 1979 i believe mm. I, yeah i read something where it did start somewhere in the 80s and yeah. it's only been you know it's only gotten worse as the yeah. years have come by and so i had to do a little bit of research and go okay what's the color of these people writing these articles? Mm. And sure enough, the writers of these articles who were saying that mass shootings didn't start until the 60s, 70s, 80s Mm. were white. Well, when I turned to my black news 
uh, my black news channels or my black news uh, sites, sites on the internet, right. it was mm, mass shooting started in 1873 <laughs> when a mob of black people were raped or were killed about 60 to 150 black people were mobbed by angry white racists and shot dead mm -hmm. in Colfax, Louisiana. Mm -hmm. So I think even the idea of what gun violence means to different minorities means something different. Mm, that's interesting. Because we're talking about gun violence. We're talking yeah. about mass shootings. Right. But there's a difference between mass shootings and street crime. And yeah. I think that white America has painted the ghettos, quote unquote, of of Los Angeles or the ghettos of any city as a place where, ooh, they're urban dwellers. They have guns anyways. It's not really a problem. That right, gun right, issue right. isn't really our gun issue. Mm. But yet this mass shooting that happens in a white area, all of a sudden it's a problem and it needs to be amended. Right. And I think that there's something really fucked up about that. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I don't think just because, oh, you know, I don't know, he was such a good student, yeah. you know, or, or, or whatever it is, his background and his upbringing, just because they're, they're, they, they think that they're different, but in, in retrospect, they, they're not. No, it's, they're, all, it's not at all. It's all the same. Literally, Definitely. Literally all the same. You have a person with a gun. Yeah. And you know what I think is also interesting? We in America... School shootings in America or just mass shootings in America, they feel so uniquely American, mm -hmm. even though they happen in other parts of the world. Right. I think the way that we deal with them is uniquely American because we are the first to blame the guns. Yes. We're like, we, we need are. gun control. Right. Mass shooting. Get the guns off the street. Yes. But guns are operated by people. Yes. You can't talk about gun control without yes. really zeroing in on the people yes, I agree. who employ these guns, who put these right. guns to use. Well, and also the people who employ these laws yeah. and these restrictions Correct. and these guidelines of how you can get a gun, mm -hmm. what you do with the gun, what right. you buy the ammo, how you buy the ammo, like all of the stuff that is literally put in place by people. Yeah, exactly. And then, and then they want to blame the guns. I don't. I don't understand. The gun didn't do anything. No. The gun is literally just the gun. The people behind the guns right. did something. Exactly. And so we had Columbine in 1993. Mm -hmm. One would think, we have to change this. We've right. got to get these guns off the yep. street. We can't allow kids to keep shooting up schools. And for a moment, there was a hope that something would change. Right. I agree. But it just didn't change. And it got worse. I it mean, got, we've had yeah. we've had in the past couple of years, just, I mean, this year, these past two years alone is the most shootings of all time. Yeah, ever. we had Marge, we had Marjorie Stoneman Douglas, which just happened. Yeah. We had Sandy Hook, where young children oh God, like six and seven were assassinated. You had Orlando, Florida. But we had the Pulse club. nightclub shooting. Yep. We had Virginia Tech. Yep. You had uh, the Vegas shooting. Yes. Yeah. They just keep happening. They do. And then the most recent one, which I guess isn't a mass school shooting. In Maryland? In Maryland. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't say that's a mass school shooting. But it's still a shooting. But it's still a shooting. And I bring it up because many of these school shootings, with the exception of Virginia Tech, were perpetrated by white males. Yes. Overwhelmingly. Yes. And, and, and the fact, what breaks my heart the most, and I think that's along the lines of a lot of how other people are feeling, is that... You know, it's at schools. 
You know, it's like yeah. people that are so innocent that haven't even had a chance to begin mm-hmm. anything in their lives, and they're they're just their life is as ended by someone who is insane, yeah, or someone who just thought that they were doing something for the good. Mm-hmm. You know, totally. I mean, it freaked me out. I remember where was it? It was two thousand and seven. Was Virginia Tech? Yes. Um, his name is Seung. I hope I'm saying this right because he's Korean. Seung. Uh, Hui Cho. Um, he is. He was a senior. He was a student at Virginia Tech, and after he, I remember I was in high school, and I remember when I saw his face, and I went, "Oh boy, I've never seen an Asian man, you know, in any of our mass shooting, at least mm-hmm. from the media at that age." Uh, which was really creepy and scary, and that 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 maybe maybe when I was a child, that's something I've never had to worry about. The Asian community has never really had to worry about shootings, and yeah, because I was going to ask, what does gun control and gun what does that mean in the Asian community? I mean, I think for Asian Americans now, it means something because we're all getting more educated, and as these mass shootings keep happening, I think everyone's getting more opinionated on what they think. The government should do, of course, obviously. Yeah. But as far as growing up, um, I mean, I, I, my brother sort of, well, a little bit before my brother, in our area at least, there were gangs, there were fights, there were, you know, things like that. Um, but we we never had to really worry about We were We also grew up in a, a little bit of a safer area. Okay. Um, but in, in a smaller town, we never really had to worry about gun control. That was never or gun violence. That was never something that I went to school, you know, uh, worried that, about, worried about. Yeah. yeah. And neither did you, obviously. No. But but that was something that never crossed my mind. And I was pretty young when Columbine happened. So uh, I didn't I didn't get too affected by it. But I remember when Virginia Tech happened and then I saw that he was Asian. I was like. Wow, so this is this is a this is a problem because it's it's not that I thought that an Asian person could never go off the rails and shoot someone. I did. I, I'm, I'll call myself out. I never thought an Asian person would be like capable, of right? Something and I, I and I think you're 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 along the lines of millions of other people yeah. that that thought that. You can thank the model minority myth for that one, right? Yep. And so I think when that happened, I remember being like, "Oh wow, like this is a much bigger issue than than just race and identity and everything. It's it's not about race, it's not about color, you know? It's about obviously the people behind the guns and then it's about the people who implement the rules of the guns and then, you know, it's about the person and most of them being men. Um, and having issues already and yeah. having this mental illness that stems from childhood or not. Maybe they just snap. But I don't I don't believe in that. I think they already have it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I mean, he was diagnosed uh, with severe anxiety disorder and he went to therapy all through like high school and even when he was younger in Korea, because I think he came to the United States when he was three years old. Yeah. Um, and uh, he, yeah, he was in Virginia Tech, and he he already uh, was. Uh, I think he stalked two female students oh. on the campus, um, and the faculties and the administration of Virginia Tech sort of stepped in place and eventually, you know, said, "Hey, we gotta check this guy out." I don't, yeah. I don't think it was thorough enough. Um, but then a special justice did declare him mentally ill. But because he was not institutionalized, he could still buy guns. That's insane to me. I know. So because he wasn't locked up in the loony bin, yeah, he can still get his hands on 
an assault rifle. Let's just call it what it yeah, is. Yeah, I mean, he didn't use one, thank God. But yeah, he still, I mean, he still killed or he still shot and killed 32 people. And the all those people, he shot and killed 32 people and wounded 70 others in two separate attacks. And those people that were shot were all shot three times, to be exact, and in the head. So look how precise he was. I didn't realize there was that precision. Mm-hmm. And he went through these buildings and into the rooms shooting students. And then he like made his way back. And some people were obviously maybe not completely dead. So there were some students that were like moving and stuff. And then he, he went back to shoot them again to make sure they were dead. Really premeditated. Yeah, it freaked me out. And the fact that they were shot in the head, like... Did he train, you know, like how, you know, one could think like one shot in the head, two in the wherever body to make sure that, you know, whatever major organs were hit um, just was really scary. And then the fact that he in between the two attacks, he went to his room, changed out of his bloody clothes from the first attack, deleted his email account uh, took his hard drive out and threw it in like some nearby like pond or water thing to to and his cell phone, and emailed a package um, with letters and tapes about what what he was going to, and then proceeded to do his second attack at the next building. How was this guy not stopped? I I don't know. I mean, and then obviously he ended ended up uh, just killing suicide, killing right. himself, and then um yeah, it's 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 insane. Like. <laughs> a question yeah i know that that the asian community you guys are a very honorific community yeah it's in our culture right right what how is the family of someone right who takes out who who takes out a bunch of people how is the family then looked at how are you received like because i would just think on uh, if honor is a is a form of currency uh-huh that's a totally non-honorific act. Yes. What does the family do? Right. Um, well, so first of all, let's talk about, so in his man, in his 1,800-word manifesto photos and 27 digitally, digitally recorded videos, he Cho likened himself to Jesus Christ and expressed his hatred of the wealthy. Um, this is online when I was reading articles. He stated, among other things, that you forced me into a corner and gave me only one option. You just loved to crucify me. You loved inducing cancer in my head, terror in my heart, and ripping my soul all this time. Wow. I know. It's scary. So then uh, his family issued a statement of grief and apology. Um, but also his Maternal grandfather was quoted in the Daily Mirror referring to Cho as a person who deserved to die with his victims. So the family Whoa. knew. The family knew that this 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 kid wasn't was bad news bears. Yeah, from the beginning. Yeah. Um, and so his uh, sister, who was graduated from Princeton University. Oh wow. Yeah. Um, she said she she stated, uh, he has made the world weep. We are living a nightmare. Our family is so very sorry for my brother's unspeakable actions. It is a terrible tragedy for all of us. We pray, we pray for their families and loved ones who are experiencing so much ex- excruciating grief. And we pray for those who were injured and for those lives that are changed forever because of what they had witnessed and experienced. Each of these people had so much love, talent, and gifts to offer, and their lives were cut short by a horrible and senseless act. 
And also in Korea, because when South Korea found out that the shooter was South Korean, they also issued a statement of um, apology and grief. And the um, the South Korean president expressed condolences, and they had a candlelight vigil outside the embassy um, of the United States in South Korea. Wow. Um, but yeah, many Koreans felt the guilt and mourned because they still considered him South Korean by blood, even if he was American and came here when he was really young. So I think that was a huge impact as far as the Asian community. And me being an Asian American, I thought, oh, this is this is bigger than I even imagined. Because I, I, I'm sure plenty of people never thought that an Asian person would ever just fall off the rails and no. n- n- mass murder. And, and when that happened, I went, okay, this is scary. Yeah. Yeah. I, I looked I looked at that. The, Virginia Tech was like my defining moment of like this. This affects everybody. Yeah. You know, this isn't just a black problem or a white problem. This no. is clearly a, a, a clearly like an American thing. And mm-hmm. I think what it is, is that America just as a whole refuses to admit that there's a problem and America as a whole. I mean, partially the government yeah you know and that there needs to be change um with guns and gun violence simply put i feel like we get very mixed messages in our american culture because we love guns they do we love guns here yeah yeah yeah. hollywood loves yes blowing up shit blowing shit Uh, we love it and in movies the way that that gun think about the most famous men that shoot guns in films you've got indiana jones yep james bond james bond yep. john wayne right these men that are essentially All these cowboys yeah, yeah that are essentially viewed as they had their respectful right. men because powerful. they they're powerful women want to sleep with them mm-hmm. and they all they're all around quote-unquote good guys yeah. that people uh look, look up, up to and admire exactly so you've got that force but then you've also got the force of people saying no 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 guns are a bad thing but don't take my guns away yeah yeah i want to keep kids safe that's great but i don't keep don't take my guns away because i'm not the problem and my answer to that is always anytime someone has an assault rifle yeah why does one need an assault rifle? Right, tell me about it. But B, let's get the message straight. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, California is doing, I think they're leading the way in really making, uh, you can't buy an assault rifle anymore. I guess I just, I, I've never understood the need for an assault rifle in the home and the, yeah. the continued justification that some people have for owning them. Right, I totally agree. Because for me, from a black standpoint, I hear assault rifle, I only think mass shooting. But in the black community, there's a big difference between everyday gun violence, which is the gun violence that happens in those communities, and just mass, chaotic shooting done by white men. Mm-hmm. Two completely different things. Completely. And I think that in this country, Mexicans and black people have long been vilified as people that own too many guns. Mm-hmm. We're thugs. Mm-hmm. We're extremists. Guns need to be taken out of our hands. But we're not looking to white America saying, y'all are a problem too. Yeah. I think they're they well they're the root of it first of all because it's these are the men that are placing these rules that are taking money from yeah. the NRA the lobbying NRA spends has spent millions mm-hmm. of dollars lobbying these politicians and not let letting Congress pass any significant gun reforms. But the NRA has a, such a stronghold on our U.S. government that we're never going to actually get 
gun reform and quote unquote gun control until the NRA's hold on our government is taken care of. Right. And I mean, if we're talking about Trump wanting to get reelected, there is no way he is going to go against the NRA and alienate that fan base because a lot of his fan base voted for him because of his stance on guns, gays and God. And and when he was speaking on behalf of what happened in Parkland, Florida, Mm -hmm. he mentioned a gun control or gun violence, I think, once. Yeah. And he mostly pinned it on mentally ill people yes and i thought um that's not right yeah let's actually that's actually a really good sort of segue because i would like to talk about what most mass shooters have in common and i'm glad that you brought that point up because i think a lot of people like to cry mental illness mental illness and that's actually not very true Mental illness for some shooters plays a role. We saw that in Virginia Tech. We saw that in Sandy Hook. But generally, mental illness is not the biggest reason that men commit mass murder. Mm -hmm. So according to the New York Times, uh, mass shooters have a couple things in common. Most commonly, they are male. Number two, while mental illness may play a factor in carrying out shootings, not all of them are. Experts say the people willing to kill strangers don't all have a certain mental illness and in many cases never sought professional help if they do. They are often paranoid, resentful, or narcissistic, but not always to the extent that they have been found with a a mental disorder. So already right there, this whole like they're sick in the head, we can just dash that because that's by and large not true. Right. Unless you count narcissism and resentfulness <laughs> as like mental disorders. Yeah, exactly. But I think if we're talking about like bipolar, schizophrenic, yeah. that sort of thing, not true. Mm-hmm. Uh, another common trait, violence towards animals. They all have a, a history of violence towards animals. And, oh, wait a minute, Jackie, I know this one's going to surprise you. They also have a history of violence towards women. Yeah. <sighs> No shock there. Right. No uh-huh. shit, Sherlock. So the factors that would lead someone to domestic violence are similar to those that would lead someone to mass killings. So that's why the connect. Yeah. Um, Every Town for Gun Safety, which is a gun control group, found that 57% of mass shootings... Uh, of mass shooting perps from 2009 to 2015 include a spouse, former spouse, or other family member who has been victimized. Mm-hmm. So if we're talking about teenagers, I just feel like I need to say this. If teenagers are the people that we are calling into question, because more than likely they are the ones that do mass shootings, generally, if it's if it's not violence towards an ex-girlfriend, it's generally violence towards the mom. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And let's be real, not many moms are going to roll on their kids mm-hmm. for being violent because that then, I guess a parent could say, is a direct reflection of their parenting mm-hmm, skills. Mm-hmm. And so they wouldn't want to be thought of as Definitely. bad parents. Of course. You saw this in Sandy Hook because the perpetrator in that particular killing was from a well-to-do family. Mm. Like, the family had a really good reputation was in the he area. He was how old? Was like, seven? Was he I think, I think he might have been 18 or 19. But all that said, he had gone to some doctors, and these doctors recommended he be institutionalized or at least heavily medicated. And the mom said, no, 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 no. I can deal with my son just fine. And one could assume that part of her hesitancy towards institutionalizing her son is because she had a reputation to uphold. And one could argue that perhaps that reputation was 
upholding that reputation was more important than the safety of Of her child of her child or of just of anyone else's child right yeah so there's that um about 16 percent of the gunmen in mass shootings during the period of time from 2009 to 2015 had previously been charged with domestic violence Mm -hmm. the group also found Mm -hmm. Uh, another common thread is their desire for notoriety, the expressed hopes of fame, glory, and attention. The final would be a sense of grievance, this feeling that these men have been wronged, whether by an individual, a corporation, or a dem- or a demographic group, and they are seeking revenge. So there are some through lines to which all of these these people that think it's fine to create mass homicide yeah. to uh, to to enact mass homicide all have some pretty similar traits there. Definitely. And I mean, it. one could argue also that gun control is a feminist issue yeah. because of the violence on women sure. portion of yeah. what a lot of these men have in common. Definitely. I mean, I think at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas, there was a sense of grievance, but also he was, he was rejected by his ex-girlfriend and the way he got expelled from school was because he was fighting with his ex-girlfriend's new boyfriend. So you've got that. The shooting in Maryland that just happened was the gentleman walked in and shot his ex-girlfriend in the head because she rejected him again. Yeah, it's 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 all of I think it's a huge problem, mm-hmm. first of all. But I also think that it then becomes these men are already prone to be violent and yes. have issues. And if if it's the girlfriend or the wife breaking up with them breaking their heart or a fight that sparks this sort of insanity in them uh that needs to obviously be addressed and how you do that when you're a mother of one of these child or a partner of one of these men i that 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 i i don't know i hope i'm never in any sort of uh, situation like that but but it's really scary to think about like you're dating this guy and you might really like him and then you know, a fight breaks out and all of a sudden he, like, smacks you, you know, and then you're like, fuck, I'm done, I'm out. And then, next thing you know, he, he murders you. Yeah. Like... I, I could not begin to imagine. And I think it is also worth mentioning on this podcast, I did do some research into why women uh, carry out shootings in schools and why African-American men carry out shootings in schools i couldn't find anything about african-american women specifically but Mm. generally those two demographics of people do not commit mass murder in schools Mm. generally those two groups of people uh it's a it's a shooting of emotion right right right. so either a girl has been broken up with and she wants to shoot her boyfriend dead or a black man has a problem with some dude or some or some female maybe he was broken up with as well and um Instead of going in and trying to enact just total destruction towards all the student body, they just go right to the source. Mm-hmm. And the location of school is not as important as it seems to be to these white male school shooters. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. For women and for black men, the location of school is simply a location of convenience. Yes. It's about, I know I can get this person at this place at this time yeah. i know where they'll be so yeah. i can carry out this shooting yeah i think too it's, it's, it's it, if it's not always that if it's just something maybe somewhat like virginia tech where they did maybe think that he was linked to one of the students uh 
that might have caused later they found out they had no history together but, right but when it's something am- amongst amongst the lines of of they think that they just are a, some sort of a god and they need to do humanity a service mm-hmm. by killing these people right you know and that they saved us mm-hmm. from whatever yeah it's it's a it's a problem. It's a huge problem. I think also when when these mass shootings happen, a lot of activism follows in its mm-hmm. place. And the question of whose activism gets more empathy than other activism is a question that's been asked a lot recently, mainly because people from Black Lives Matter yeah. are saying, well, hey, you know, when the shooting for Trayvon Martin happened and we sprung into action, we didn't get nearly as much attention mm-hmm. or empathy from white America for what I mean, we were doing. We talked about this in the feminist uh, episode where the women's march yes. was not nearly intersectionally feminism feminist enough. No. And that was a big deal. So, like, you kind of see this, like, this this thread amongst mm-hmm. all these sort of this this sort of white a, a thread just yeah. leading through these events you know well yeah and it makes you wonder who gets who's allowed to get empathy right do you know what i mean yeah. uh the writer Roxane Gay who i absolutely love uh tweeted something on february 21st i just want to put it in this episode cuz i think it's really poignant but Roxane Gay said It's interesting to note the difference in support for the kids in Florida versus the kids in Black Lives Matter. I say that with full admiration for the kids in Florida to survive such a trauma and fight for everyone to be safer. But that's also what was happening in Ferguson and beyond. Yeah, was Ferguson in Florida too? No. No, that was... was Ferguson, I believe, is in Michigan. Oh, okay. Um, But I think think the point she's trying to make is... One could argue that the the students in Florida are getting a lot of recognition, A, because they're so young. But, hey, there's also young teenagers in Black Lives Matter, too. It's not like yeah. one is an, a, a movement led by just kids and one right. is a movement led by just adults. Mm-hmm. One could also argue that Black Lives Matter is perhaps more uh, has has taken more questionable matters into their own hands in terms of their form of activism like how they go about it yeah and Mm -hmm. white america might not necessarily agree with how they go about it so thus they don't feel like black lives matter should get the same recognition yeah the same attention yeah or attention as the students in florida the same empathy Mm -hmm. um and that is a question that's been pinging through my mind, too, which is, you know, Stefan Clark, that shooting. And I believe it was in, in NorCal just happened where the black man was carrying his cell phone. It was oh. shot 20 times by police who did not identify themselves. And of this course. kind of shit just happens. But I guarantee you, if Stefan Clark was a white kid, cops would have identified themselves. There is no way yeah. no that they would have way. emptied 20 bullets no. into him. No, no fucking way. So it makes you wonder who's allowed to be the victim. Yeah, right. Because Stefan Clark was just walking to his grandmother's house. Mm-hmm. Some people want to say he was breaking into cars, but there's not a ton of evidence to support that. Right. But it seems like... So it, it just seems like even in the whole... Even in the category of violence mm-hmm. that there's people, also a hierarchy yes yeah which i i mean just thinking about it now it, it it's 
It's so true. Yeah. Like Stefan Clark, let's say he wasn't breaking into cars and was simply walking back to his grandmother's house. Even still, in the media, he was painted as a criminal. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, what was he doing? What was he? Why was yeah. he carrying yeah. his cell phone in his right. hand? Because the normal white American man doesn't, doesn't carry a cell phone and wear a fucking hoodie. Like, come on, people. No, they will find they will find anything. Yeah. To justify and to validate their reasoning behind why they think that that this person, whatever justifications that allows them to, to think this way. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, I have a great quote here, and it says, white people get to be everything. They get to be victims. They get to be heroes. And black people, unfortunately, continue to be criminalized for our moments of courage, for our moments of mourning and grieving. And that quote was from the Black Lives Matter Network co-founder Patrice Coolers. And that's what she said in reaction to the amount of coverage that the Parkland, Florida kids are getting versus the not so much coverage that the kids in the Black Lives Black Lives Matter movement received. Mm-hmm. She's saying it's it's not really just, it's not really equal. And I can sort of agree with her on that yeah. point as a black woman where I feel like anytime a black person is in the streets protesting, anytime a black person seems even just a little bit angry, they're a problem. They're thugs. They're extremists. They're difficult. They have a propensity towards violence and they must be stopped. Mm -hmm. But when angry white kids are protesting in the street, we wholeheartedly support and applaud them. No questions asked. And let me just be very clear. I think what the kids went through in Parkland, Florida was horrific. And I wouldn't hope anyone Mm -hmm. would have to live through that. They are incredibly brave to spark such a national conversation as fast as they did. Incredibly brave, incredibly shrewd, incredibly powerful. But all that said, I also as a black woman see that white kids' anger is validated, but black kids' anger is not. And it still drives home the fact of, well, violence among white kids, it's horrible and it needs to be stopped. Violence amongst black kids or Mexican kids in lower income areas, it's not that big of a deal. Yeah, I agree. And And that super pisses me off. Yeah, because you know, in the end, we're really all just people. Yeah. And the fact that it becomes this race, ethnicity, color thing, it just, it's so fucked up. And here's the thing, like, I feel like if black America and white America linked up to take this problem on, We would be stronger. Black people banded together in the 80s and 90s to fight the the war on drugs, a war that right, a war that right now white America is fighting with the war on opiates and opiate addiction. Black America has been there. Black America is willing to help white America. I guarantee you. But white America has to be willing to just drop their guard, stop being afraid of us, and come ask us for some help. We'll help you. We in our communities fight gun violence all the time. But again, it's this sense of like, we're over here, black people are over here, white people are over here, and white people assume that black people will not understand the struggle that they are going through. Uh, That is total bullshit. bullshit. 
And it's like, this is all happening. All this shit is happening over here, even though we know that maybe you could help or we could support each other. But we're still not going to go there because you're black and right. I'm white. Right. Exactly. Right. And I think that if we want to really talk about straight up serious gun reform, I think that the two sides need to get together. We've got to stop this whole, well, my kid is a white kid. He yeah. goes to an up, he, we, you know, we live in an upper income area. I can't see myself reflected no. in these little and black and brown kids in the be, ghetto. It needs to be, this is how I was affected by gun violence. Yeah. And this is how I was affected by gun violence. And because we shared that, that's it. That's all you need. Yeah. You know? Exactly. And those kids that were coming up during the march and, and speaking about how they were affected, that's that's what it's about, isn't it? You're coming together definitely. For a because you were both affected by this gun violence. Yeah, and so that's all it has to be about. A hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, I was watching an, uh, some news coverage, and one of the students from Parkland was interviewed, and I believe it was a she, and I believe she said something akin to, "You're asking me about gun control and gun violence. Go ask the black kids who deal with it every day." Every single day they deal with it. And it was one of those moments where it shouldn't have to come from a 15, 16 year old to get the world to listen. And the media wants to cover her story. Right. That's what's hot right now. Right. They don't want to cover anything that's actually going on in a day to day life. Waking up in fear, going to bed in fear that at any moment someone could drive by and shoot your house. Correct. Shoot your mom, shoot your family. Speak on it. Go ahead, girl. Preach. (laughs) Testify. And then that's again, you know, it's the media that wants to get the views. Yeah. Because that's what's hot right now. So let's cover these kids instead of something that is the norm. I Mm -hmm. keep saying this. It's normal for them. Yeah. School shooting, mass shootings really are just so commonplace now that. I feel as a citizen, I'm just numb to them. And it's sad. It's real it sad. It breaks my heart. I was reading this one article about this uh, this one a journalist who just kept saying how he was sort of in charge of covering the mass shooting sort of section in the in the paper. And the fact that he wasn't even surprised, like when he gets another one, he's like, all right, here we go. And it's just, I mean, does that have to just keep happening until people wake the fuck up? I don't know. I don't know either. Apparently, Columbine should have been the wake up call yeah, that we all that was needed. Devastating. Yeah. You know, and then you have one. I mean, America has the most ownership of guns. Yeah. Than any other uh, higher income higher nation. nation. Any other. Mm-hmm. We're only 5% of the population, but. We own 31%. We have 31% of the world's global shooters. Yeah. Like, if, if, if not the numbers alone show an issue and the statistics and the problems and everything along the side of that, then what more? What more do we want? I don't know. I have no idea. But I also take issue with the way that mass shooters and school shooters are written about in the paper mm-hmm. as well, where... If the shooting in Vegas were a black man, a Mexican man, a Middle Eastern man, that guy would have been called a terrorist. That guy would have been called um, highly and completely dangerous, unstable. But because he was a white man, and in this country, we don't call white men terrorists. Mm -mm. We just don't. Right. Even if that's what they, they are, are, we don't call them that. Yep. He is a lone wolf. Mm-hmm. Just like the bombings that happened in Austin, Texas, where this white kid was bomb- was killing black people. We don't want to call him a terrorist. Oh, no. Don't call him that. No, no. He was dark. 
And he was from a godly family. Like, stop trying to romanticize these mass shooters. It's bullshit. Even the guy in Maryland, a lovesick teenager, he was a cold-blooded murderer. Like, how are we romanticizing shooters like this? I know. Why? Because white men feel like it's more important for them to protect the overall image Mm -hmm. that they have Mm -hmm. as opposed to just reporting... Honestly yeah. and truthfully? And, and honestly, you're not protecting fucking anybody. If anything, no. you're making people more angry, you know, about yeah. why you're titling him a lovesick teenager. Disgusting. You're not, you're not doing anything but making it worse for yourself by by being somewhat nice in the way you describe someone who just killed 17 people mm-hmm. in six minutes. Yeah, exactly. You know? Well, for me, it's like I read that article and I was like... You have it. Whoever wrote this article, I guarantee you, you have a son at home. And I guarantee you that person said, and it was a white person, that person said, if that were my son, I wouldn't want my son to be spoken about like that. But mm-hmm. it's cool if a black kid commits that same mm-hmm. sort of act. We can call him a thug. Mm-hmm. We can call him lost. He's, he's also a, a man and, a, and, and, right. and once was a, a son. Totally. To someone. Definitely. So. I'm just, I, I. I get so angry with the way that these school shootings are reported. A, the fact that they're still happening is a disgrace. I mean, it, it scares me. And I, honestly, I feel like the way this country is right now and what we're headed towards, it's going to get a lot worse before it gets better. And sometimes that is the only way it has to go. Not always. Right. But I feel like with that thing that we have in office right now. hmm and with the way people are really speaking out and really being honest and transparent about what they want, what they need, how they've been victimized, what has happened, and communicating strongly, because now you don't need to, you don't need anyone's permission to fucking communicate. You record yourself, you do a live video, it goes fucking viral. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's all you need. You need a little phone and a camera. Yeah. You know, it's powerful in that way. And your camera is actually on your phone, so you only just need one thing. You only need one thing, and so. I I just I'm not trying to be pessimistic, but I think it's gonna get a lot worse before it gets good. Yeah, I mean I don't think it's pessimistic at all. I would argue that it's it's probably realistic. Yeah, and we can hope that these school shootings and these mass shootings don't happen again. But the reality is, the way that American history has showed, there's gonna be another one. There is. Oh, I can guarantee. Yeah, we, we all know. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think it there's breaks my heart. Also, a force at play that we need to talk about that I think in all of these mass shootings, this phrase has come about. And that is the phrase of toxic masculinity. Have you ever heard about this? A little bit. Why don't you touch on it some more? Okay. So as I was reading about why these mass shooters are carrying out mass shootings and what color they tend to be and what personality types they generally have, this phrase kept coming up. So toxic masculinity... If there is a way that patriarchy harms men, this is a way. And so it essentially, it refers to the socially constructed attitudes that describe the masculine gender role as violent, unemotionally, sexually aggressive, and so on and so forth. So that's the definition from Mm -hmm. geekfeminism.com. If you want something a little bit more specific, chew on this definition. 
Tradition. They uh, so it refers to traditional stereotypes as men as socially dominant, along with related traits such as misogyny and homophobia. Kind of sounds like our president can be considered toxic due to their promotion of violence, including sexual assault and domestic violence. Other stereotypically masculine traits such as self reliance and the stifling of emotions are correlated within increased psychological problems in men, such as depression increased stress and substance abuse some scholars argue that the socialization of boys often normalizes violence because mm-hmm. young boys can be so rambunctious and generally the phrase of boys will be boys is kind of what parents say but by saying boys will be boys in response to boys being violent you've got to remember that that starts that trains young boys from a young age to be aggressive yeah, and to, to just continue to be okay with what they're doing. And yeah. Being, and being yeah. okay with violence and ultimately bullying. Yeah. But um, a lot of these male shooters that have carried on, that have carried out these, these violent acts generally are victims of toxic masculinity. I say mm-hmm. victims because they suffered from it and because they suffer from this, they carry out these horrific shootings and often don't come out of them alive. Um, so I said earlier in the, in the podcast that our relationship with guns in America is we love guns. We love guns. Hollywood loves guns. There are plenty of, of archetypes for male shooters in movies such as James Bond, Indiana Jones. You also have someone like Arnold Schwarzenegger as the Terminator. You've even got teens armed with futuristic weapons. If we're talking about the Divergence series. And uh, so this love of guns, coupled with the fact that these mass school shooters who suffer from toxic masculinity, they are not widely admired and respected. Mm -hmm. So in our American culture, in those movies such as the James Bond films, we look up to James Bond. He's all of these great things and he shoots a gun. He's respected. That is in stark contrast to these school shooters who are not widely respected. Mm -hmm. Women want to fuck James Bond. The chicks do not want to fuck these mass shooters or school shooters. And James Bond has is given respect because he's earned respect. Yes. But with a lot of these mass shooters, they feel like they are owed something. Yes. That and they just want to take. Yeah. And so they, from their standpoint, if they are not given the respect, the admiration, the validation, insert other adjective here, that they feel they deserve, they just take out their fury on everybody and it's really when we're talking about toxic masculinity we're talking we're talking about a catastrophic sense of male entitlement Mm. this idea that i'm a man i exist and i should be appreciated for it right women should want to have sex with me women should want to date me i should be respected by my peers you saw a lot of this rhetoric with dylan roof he was the 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 charleston shooter that shot up the black church yeah 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 you see a lot of this sort of rhetoric played time and again on certain alt-right message boards and on these websites where these these men and i guess teenage boys that are feeling empty and not validated and not respected and not uh by the outside world yeah which 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 is not true because i that i I always talk about it being something coming from the inside like the inward journey definitely um but go on they essentially can find what they're looking for 
uh, on these chat boards. They can find what they're looking for within these alt-right message boards. They can find what they're looking for, the sort of validation that they're looking for in certain articles that are posted on those websites. They can find that. And generally, the, the desire to kill is spurned on by the fact that they only see the world in one way, the way that they think the world should view them. And when it's when the world does not fall in line with what they see right for them it's like okay time to kill like i'm not getting what i want i'm not whether or not that's a conscious choice exactly whether or not it's conscious that's what's playing out and so as a woman i wonder as a feminist but also as a woman i wonder when did when did the world become a place where men need to be validated simply for existing yeah you know what i mean and then how do we then teach how can you then teach young girls to fight for what they believe in you know if a guy is coming on to you and you're not interested a girl has all right to say hey i'm not really interested thanks but no thanks and should expect to not be shot and killed because of it yeah but in the case of some of these toxic toxically masculine men we're seeing that that is becoming less and less an option and actually, in fact, doing research for this episode, I went on some mommy chat boards, some like t- teenage, preteen mommy chat boards to see how they have been teaching their daughters to deal with people of the opposite sex when uh-huh. it comes to dating and whatnot. And I was shocked by the amount of mothers that would that told their daughters, don't let them down hard. You know, if, if a guy is interested in you, just play along with it. You would hate to hurt his ego. Oh, God. I was shocked. Wow, and this is in today's world. This is in t- 2018. Still, still happening. That was advice that mothers were giving to their daughters. And admittedly, some of these moms were like, "Look, I don't want my kids getting shot and killed because they weren't reciprocating a guy's uh desires, desires or flirtatious actions." Yeah, so, my answer to them was just play along. Like they a lot of these moms own the fact that that's not right, wow. but they don't know what else to do. To do cuz cuz they they yeah, they they just don't know, huh? Wow. That that's deep. <laughs> so, how do we wrap this up? Oh man. What's our what's our call to action here? <sighs> I think for me, I has I said it earlier in the episode, which is I think that black folks, white folks, Mexican folks who have been affected by gun violence need to link up. The more yeah. people that we have fighting for the same cause, yes. the better. But I think the only way to link up effectively is if white America can drop this yeah. whole uh, they don't look yeah. like me, so I can't relate thing. I think they ultimately all have to realize that they're all on the same side and they're all fighting for the same cause. We're all fighting for the same cause. And as soon as we can begin to sort of break apart those illusions and those beliefs that that what you went through isn't the same that I went through because you're black and I'm white. Once we start breaking those downs, only then can something really magical happen. Right. I think. In my opinion, because the more people you have, the more voices you have, then then the more you can get through your message because there's the more, you know, there's more of you. Yeah. Um, that'd be I mean, it's tough because we're so not that we're so far removed. I mean, we're obviously a part of this because we're human and we have access to it and we're seeing it, how it affects people and it affects us because we're simply human. I think where you're coming from is a great place. And, and I agree with it. 
Why don't I don't I think that's where I'm at. I don't know. <laughs> You're I'm so bowled so, over I'm by so, all this gun violence. I, yeah, I'm sort of bulldozed and I'm bummed and and I I not that I wish I could do more cuz I think we're already doing it by talking by being but I think this is this is a humanity problem, you know? This mm-hmm. is something that's that's it's like a sickness, it's like a virus that's in us. Yeah. And uh it needs to be eliminated. I hear that. You know? Yeah. It's it's a little more deeper and rooted in 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 our brains and in our souls and in whatever is here with us on this planet uh a little further than than just maybe if I don't know if it's just a pure evil or a pure energy that's just sort of seeping through everything mm-hmm. but but it needs to people need to become enlightened and and you need to to grow through it somehow. yeah i think from a feminist perspective the notion of toxic masculinity being bad for not just men but for women obviously yeah. and how patriarchy through the lens of toxic masculinity hurts both genders it does and and we t- i touched on that on the feminist episode of, yeah you know men don't need to be strong and, and need to fight and they can feel and squash their emotions and i think yeah. that that could be also another um call to action a challenge that we could start today which is this idea of of really helping to curb the dialogue and the narrative of what it means to be a man Mm -hmm. i don't think that's just a a problem that's that's limited towards parents Mm -hmm. i think that if you i have a couple of male cousins who i feel like i could start that conversation rolling with yeah exactly exactly this idea of you can feel and it doesn't have to be and confront them you know face yeah don't be a yeah, you could be afraid. That's nor- perfectly normal and perfectly fine. But, but do that because then, then you'll grow and you'll see that that this whole masculinity, uh, situational societal masculinity, not necessarily that everyone has. All these men have this toxic masculinity. True. Not all men but, are afflicted by it. Right. But that regardless, it's it still hinders some part of them. You know the way that that that, that somehow society sees men to be. Same with women. It could go either way. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, so I think those are our two, our two calls to action. Yeah. Call out toxic masculinity when you see it, yeah. and just be the best version of yourself yeah. that you can be, guys. Yeah, drop this assumption that because someone doesn't look like you, they can't relate. Like yeah. that is entirely Ugh. bullshit. Yeah, you're all this. We're all the same. We all have a beating heart. Mm-hmm. We all have a brain and a body. And I think when you think like that, it only holds you back for sure. You in know anything, what I mean? In anything, definitely. All right. All right. Thanks it's getting for getting heated. This is a hot conversation. Oh, no. I'm dripping sweat over here. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you guys for listening. This episode was produced by Christian Humes over at Zeitheist. Christian. If you want to reach Jackie or I, you can find Black and Yellow, the podcast on Instagram at Black and Yellow Podcast. Or if you just want to hit me up to Shay Jackie and I won't tell her about it. I'm Alana Webster and you can find me at Renegade of Fun. And if you want to find me on the gram, my handle is at Jacqueline Chung Young. If you want to tell me all the good things about Alana and I won't tell her. I like it. I like it. You change that narrative, Jackie. You change it, girl. I'm already doing it. it. See you guys next week or talk to you guys next week. (laughs) Bye. Bye.